This is the eLearning Alchemist podcast. Welcome to the eLearning Alchemist podcast. I am your host, Clint Clarkson, and in this episode, we'll continue our discussion on graphic design for eLearning and PowerPoint presentations. In the last episode, we discussed two important building blocks for good design, the grid and backgrounds. Today, we're going to dive into two of the most important design elements, fonts and colors. In the next episode, we'll spend more time discussing the power of repetition, which in part means being consistent and is part of the CRAP acronym from Robin Williams' book, The Non-Designer Design Book. However, all the items we're going to discuss today should be repeated consistently across your course. Using consistent fonts, colors, and design features will help unify your overall course design. So let's get things kicked off with fonts. Choosing the right fonts for your course is sometimes super easy because you don't have any decisions to make. You don't get a choice. They're handed to you in a brand document. And some organizations will follow their brand guidelines blindly. You'll be building a gamified course that's based in the forest and someone in marketing will tell you that it still needs to be open sun. Not that there's anything wrong with open sun, it's just not very foresty. In these situations, there often isn't much that you can do. You're stuck with whatever font you're given. However, my experience has been that if you're building a themed course that isn't totally consistent with all the other brand guidelines, you can usually just slip in another font without anyone noticing because it works properly. In other situations, you'll be allowed to change the font to suit your course. And that's what we're going to discuss now. So how do you find the right font? Here are a few simple guidelines to help you out. Number one, use a sans-serif font for body text. Research has shown that sans-serif fonts like Arial, Calibri, and Helvetica, which don't have those little end bits on the letters, the serifs, are easier to read on screen. If you're still unsure what the difference is between a serif and a sans-serif font, just do a quick Google search and you're going to find lots of examples. Headings and subheadings are a bit different than body text, though. They're typically larger and have fewer words, so with headings, it's okay to use a serif font, as long as it pairs well with your body font, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Number two, make sure that your fonts are legible. This probably sounds obvious, but it's crucial and gets messed up all the time. You may really love Segoy script, and it may even match your course theme well, but it's a terrible choice because it's horribly hard to read. You want your course to be easy to read. So choose fonts that aren't overly ornate or elaborate. You can be a bit less picky with headings and subheadings, but you shouldn't be making your course difficult to read unless you really just want to piss off your learners. Number three, use consistent fonts. A coherent design is, if nothing else, consistent. Keep your fonts consistent throughout the course. The simplest way to do this is to use the same fonts for both headings and body text, but this can be a little bit bland. Simply using a different font for your headings Perhaps a serif font than your body font can add a lot more character to your design while still being consistent. There may also be times when you want to use an additional font, and it's appropriate to do this in some cases. Maybe you want to add some handwritten text with an arrow to highlight something of importance. This is a popular design style, and it works well because the handwritten text contrasts dramatically from the rest of the text. You may also consider using a different font for character speech containers, you know, think of a comic book example. So there are situations where different fonts are appropriate. Just make sure that you're using your fonts consistently throughout the entire course. Number four, 
Consider the user's screen size when selecting a font. Font size is a topic that comes up all the time. And there used to be this set of rules for presentation designers that dictated the optimum size of on-screen text. If you have those rules kicking around somewhere, throw them out, they don't work, and here's why. The size of the font changes depending on a few different factors. First is the screen size. A 16-point font looks totally different when projected in a classroom than it does on a tablet. The font scales to the screen. So if you know your learners will be completing the learning in the field on a tablet, confirm what that looks like on that tablet and show it to a few other people to get their opinion of the font size. Second is that the font scales based on the dimensions of your slide. An 18-point font looks larger on a slide with the dimensions of 720 by 405 pixels, which is Storyline's default widescreen size, than it does on a slide with dimensions of 1280 by 720 pixels, which is PowerPoint's default widescreen size. When using the sentence, the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dogs, that sentence will take up 66% of the slide in Storyline, but only 37% of the slide in PowerPoint at those default widescreen sizes. Finally, the fonts themselves vary in size. Type a line of text in your word processor, then copy and paste it into five different lines, and change each line to a different font. They aren't all the same size. So, your best option is to consider your end user's most likely screen, and then do some testing on that screen size. For what it's worth, I try not to go below 16 points with my fonts. This size gives me enough screen to work with and is usually readable on most screen sizes. Number five, use consistent font sizes. Just as you want your fonts to be consistent, you want the size of your font to be consistent as well. If you choose 24-point headings and 16-point body text, be consistent with those sizes. Don't change font sizes to make something fit on screen. More often than not, it looks ridiculous and you can make your content more difficult to read by doing this. Being consistent doesn't mean you can never use a different size font. Size is a type of contrast and you can use size to emphasize certain text over other text. I frequently use different size headings and subheadings as well as different size bullets and subbullets when I'm in that awful situation where I have to use bullets at all. So you can use different font sizes. Just make sure you use each font and font size consistently. All headings the same, all subheadings the same, all bullets, subbullets, body, speech clouds, etc. the same. Number six, use mechanical emphasis sparingly. Mechanical emphasis is any treatment you apply to your text to make it stand out in some way. There are three you are most likely familiar with, bold, italics, and underline. But this can also include changing font size, color, and all caps. As a rule, don't use all caps in body text at all, with the exception of acronyms. There's absolutely no reason for it. You have other emphasis options. All caps is okay for headings if you choose. You'll also occasionally run into situations where you need an all caps font, such as if you're creating an interactive comic, because comic fonts are traditionally all caps. But as a rule, all caps is bad. Underline is another one I don't use. We've become accustomed to seeing hyperlinks and email addresses underlined and assumed that something that is underlined is clickable. Plus, you have other emphasis options that look better. Italics is the traditional approach to emphasis, but you need to be careful with it. Certain fonts are incredibly hard to read when italics is applied. You can use it, but be careful with it. Bold, like italics, 
can make some fonts hard to read, but it's generally a bit safer. Bold can be used for emphasis, but I prefer to use it as an organizer. If I have a list of sentences on bullets, I'll create a descriptor at the start and put it in bold, followed by non-bold text. As I like to avoid bullet points at all costs, I don't have to use this very much for e-learning or PowerPoint, but it's an awesome approach for job aids. If you look at the enhanced transcript for this podcast, you will see some examples. I also prefer to avoid using color to emphasize text. Color can be difficult to read on certain backgrounds, so if your backgrounds are changing, it's going to become difficult to maintain consistency. And color can just be jarring to the reader. They're reading along and boom, there's a word in a different color. What does that mean? Why is it there? Uh, It doesn't give the emphasis that you're really looking for. More so, it just interrupts your reader. So color can be great for headings where the learner isn't spending a lot of time reading, but is a little more difficult when you want to apply it to body text. Okay, so I basically just said you should barely use any of these mechanical emphasis tools. So how do you create emphasis? Well, if something is important, don't just leave it in a line of text. We often see this in policy e-learning courses where you get entire lines of text or individual words that are underlined, italics, bold, and in red. Every time I see this, I think to myself, whoever built this needs to go on a journey to discover their creativity. If something is important, treat it differently. If there's a line from a policy that is extremely important, put it in a call-out box. Ask a question about it. Have the learner apply it to a scenario. There are lots of ways to make it stand out that doesn't include making it big, fat, and red. And then number seven, choose good font pairings. The last thing we need to talk about regarding fonts is font pairings. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this because we can just let the internet do all the work. The easiest way to make sure your fonts pair effectively is to use a font family. Helvetica, for example, has numerous fonts in different styles and weights. By using the Helvetica font family, you can choose a different variation in size for your headings and body text and text that needs to be emphasized that will look different but still pair well. There's a science to pairing fonts that we definitely cannot go into on this podcast. The anatomy of typography will not play well via audio. And besides, most of us aren't going to become masters of fonts. And thankfully, there's already a lot of great ideas just a Google search away. To find a great font pairing, just search great font pairings on Google. If you want to narrow your search, add a different adjective, such as modern font pairings. Google will not disappoint. When you choose a font family or font pairings, consider your overall design. Is it fun and playful, serious and somber, professional and intense? You'll want different fonts depending on the tone you're setting with your design. All right, now let's move on to colors. For this section, I'm going to build off a Medium.com article that does an amazing job discussing colors. Why reinvent the wheel, right? Of course, I'll include a link to the original article in the description and enhanced transcript. Chances are, you're working with a color palette provided by your organization or client. But that doesn't mean that you don't have anything to consider when it comes to colors. Here are a number of things you'll want to consider when it comes to colors. Number one. The user interface hierarchy. Colors can tell your audience a lot about how they should interpret or interact with what's on the screen. If this is a presentation, you can use a specific color to highlight the most important concepts or another color for content that's on screen but that you won't cover in the presentation, which sometimes happens when you want your slide deck to be useful as a takeaway. In an e-learning course, you probably don't want to use your client's primary color for buttons. If borders, containers, headings, and even the background are all in the same color as the buttons, 
How will the learner know when and where to click? Number two, content legibility. Putting white text on a white background would be silly, but any light text will be difficult to read on a light background, just as dark text will be difficult to read on a dark background. Make sure your text is easy to read. Number three, brand colors. There's this assumption that your design should be dominated by your company's brand colors. There's a green band across the top of the slide for the headings. Then all the buttons are green. Then all the dividers are green. Then all the containers are green. Enough with the green already. Another tactic is to use the brand color as more of an accent. Make the rest of the slide subtle and use the brand color to add punch. Number four, primary color. Your primary color is the one that will be most dominant in your presentation. This will often be your corporate color or colors. Whatever the color is, know that it has light and dark variations. A light variation might work nicely with a monochromatic background image, while a dark variation might be useful for a drop shadow on an object. Your one color has a lot of different variations, so don't get hamstrung by your corporate color palette. A fantastic free tool to get your color variations is www.0, that is the numeral 0-2-T-O-255.com. So that's number 0-T-O, number 2, number 5, number 5.com. You'll need to know your corporate color hex number, which if you don't, if you only have your RGB or your CMYK, you can get those at www.rgb2hex. That's R-G-B-T-O-H-E-X dot net if you don't already have the hex. Number five, communicate with color. Well, you shouldn't use a bunch of red text in your policy document presentations and courses. Using a red icon or a red text container to point out the critical element is completely reasonable. Just don't overdo it. If everything is important, nothing is important. This can also extend to the state of objects in e-learning courses. A disabled button should be obviously disabled. If the next button is inactive, it shouldn't look clickable. The most common way to do this is to make the button a light gray color, but that color can vary based on your design. Your button should also include a hover state. Yes, the cursor will change to a hand in most cases, but you're hoping the user notices this. Instead, have a noticeable hover state. This could include a thick, bright outline, a complete change of color, or a change to a color variation. Just make sure it's easy for the learners to see. And don't let your learner wonder if they've done something. If they've clicked on a button or object and don't need to click it again, make it obvious. Either get rid of the object or change it so that it has less contrast than other things on screen that still need to be clicked. Number six, semi-transparent containers. A popular design technique is adding some transparency to containers. This is particularly effective if you're putting containers over top of images. Rather than being a harsh interruption or hard line, the whole picture can still be seen. It's a really nice effect. However, be consistent with your transparency amounts. Don't have 75% transparency on one slide and 25% transparency on another side. Sometimes you'll need to tweak your transparency a small amount if you have really dark or really light images beneath it but try to keep it as close as possible to your original setting. And finally, contrast ratio. Contrast ratio is a number that tells you how readable your text color is on a certain color background. This one was new to me, but there's a great tool for it. Contrast-ratio.com. That's C-O-N-T-R-A-S-T-R-A-T-I-O.com will tell you the contrast ratio between two colors. 
The ideal ratio is 7 to 1, and the minimum is 4.5 to 1. So go to contrastratio.com, enter your two colors, and determine the contrast ratio to ensure your text will be readable. One last note on colors. If you find yourself in the enviable position of needing to create a color palette, there are some great online tools. My favorite tool is Adobe Color, which is a free tool. With Adobe Color, you can simply punch in a single color, and then it will give you a variety of different color palette styles. Another tool that is great is Coolers. That's C-O-O-L-O-R-S dot co dot C-O. Or you can just do a Google image search for color palettes, such as purple color palette, and you'll get all kinds of options to work with. So there's a lot of different ways to get the color palette you want. Coolers or Adobe Color are going to be fantastic if you already have a corporate color palette, but you want to expand with some accent colors or create an analogous color scheme, or just go into Google and search for whatever it is that you want and use the color picker inside PowerPoint or inside Articulate Storyline. All right, folks, let's wrap this up. Here is a rapid fire recap for your pleasure. Number one, fonts are an important design consideration even if you don't get to pick them. One of your primary goals is to ensure that your fonts are legible, so avoid making them too small, putting them on backgrounds of similar color or hue, and use a sans-serif font for body text. Number two, the most reliable way to confirm that your font is the right size is to actually check it on multiple devices with different screen sizes, and ideally on the most common screen size that your learners will be using. Number three, use mechanical emphasis sparingly. Bold, red, and underlined may seem like it stands out, but there are other options that don't look terrible. Number four, font combinations can be tricky, so use Google to find great-looking font pairs that match your project or make things really simple and rely on a font family. Number five, color is hard. If you haven't taken courses on color theory and application, getting it right can be extremely tricky. Luckily, there are some great online tools that will do most of the work for you. Number six, even if you're working from a corporate color palette, how you use color matters. Color can provide navigation information to the learner, and it can communicate the importance of on-screen objects. So, what do you think? Can you use any of the content that we covered today? Or are you restricted by a strict corporate brand document that shall not ever be broken? Are there any other tips about fonts or colors that I missed that you think should be included? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Put them in the comments section or email me at podcast at elearningalchemy.com. That's all for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll listen again next week when we continue this design discussion with part three of three when we dive into the crap of design and look at why good design is crap. Take care until then. 